Hello and welcome to Sports Best Friends Stories, a podcast that is making the most of some dormant mics and some excellent rugby league minds. I'm Big Teen, sitting patiently across from me is a man who is on Independent Radio's best rugby league program, a man who spends his Saturday breakfast with rugby league royalty in Sydney's Radio Palace at Triple M Studios, a man who somehow does all of this and it's not even his day job. No, when he's not slapping funny all over the NRL, he is the country's leading authority in R&D tax incentives and related government assistance programs. Welcome, Mr Chris Gale. Where did you get that from? Yeah, well, the internet. internet the internet yeah, is... Well, the uh, internet lies consistently. <laughs> I think your website, if I'm, if I'm totally off. Well, that'd be right. Yeah, although <laughs> then I have to agree with it all of a sudden. Um, so with my limited understanding of tax and their alleged incentives, am I right in thinking that you helping companies get the most um, from the government is like you being Clive Churchill getting the most out of South? And in fact, you would be taxes little master well i think i'm more like Madge mcguire i'm prepared to uh, drive myself to the point of vomiting in order for the companies <laughs> to also do well in essence the government intervenes in research and development because we don't do enough of it okay and you can subsidize by way of things like grants or tax incentives the beauty of a tax system is that it's self-assessment so companies work out themselves what they're entitled to mm-hmm. it's basically subsidizing the technical risk of doing new and improved products and processes it sounds like Madge. yeah right and uh, 15,000 companies access it. All government programs should be simple, transparent, and easy to access, yep. and they're always the opposite. So we <laughs> help companies handle that program. But we also see ourselves as a stakeholder. We think innovation is important to the Australian economy, and this is the government's major involvement, and it just waxes and wanes and um, lots of travails at the moment. This is actually not a brilliant period for the area. We've had six innovation ministers in five years. Right, so right, speaks right. volumes. Believe it or not, when I left high school in, let's face it, another century, <laughs> uh, people regarded innovation and R&D, research and development, with some fear that because it equated to robots taking my jobs. Ah, uh, right, right. In 2018, that's still the problem. Mm. The mainstream media will portray innovation as there's a fear that robots will take your jobs. Even tax? Okay. Yeah, well, you know, and, and particularly rugby league. I, I absolutely assume <laughs> that we'll eventually uh, – we, we've been running a theory on, on Fire Up, which is the uh, the FBI independent show you so kindly referenced, that the reason that Cooper Cronk left mm. the Roosters was finally revealed. He's not a robot like the rest of the storm. He's mm. actually a replicant. Right. And I don't know <laughs> if you guys saw him – at, on the sideline after he came off in the 78th minute in the GF, yes, victorious. But when the celebrations occurred... Holy crap. He just sat there. Yeah. Robbo came up and said something like... Tried to emote him. Mm. Yeah. You know, I've seen starships off fire, on fire <laughs> off or attack Orion or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, tears become rain. And then he sort of wandered amongst the Melbourne players because his programming kind of suggested <laughs> he belonged yeah. more there than amongst the flesh and blood of the roosters. Right. But, that's a long discussion, but uh, yeah, innovation, robots taking our jobs. We're going We might talk about the grand final at it. Tell me this though: Would you suggest that tax is quite similar um, to rugby league in a lot of ways? Uh, it's not something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, we always like to portray that our program just happens to be a tax benefit rather than it's something that particularly drives us. Oh, uh, right. Rugby league can be taxing, uh, <laughs> and uh, and I think that. There is uh, some nice models that you can apply. I know, for example, the NBA, the National Basketball mm-hmm. Association in the US, if you breach the salary cap, they apply a luxury tax. Ah. And simply, if you're a dollar over the salary cap, you have to pay a dollar into a fund to the other owners who are under the salary oh, cap. Oh, that's excellent. So you fund your own competition, yeah. right? So it's meant to put a break, but then you get 
crazy guys like Mark Cuban who owns the Dallas Mavericks and he'll just breach it. Yeah. And he says, I don't care, I'll just keep paying. They are talking about introducing the luxury tax for the football operations part of the the soft cap that they're going to bring in for football operations, like how much you can spend on coaches, physios and spas. Mm. And (laughs) uh, instead of kicked out of the competition, stripped of premierships, competition points, you'll have to pay some sort of luxury tax. football operations mm. luxury tax. So, yeah, maybe that could be a new line of business for me. Fun fact people always throw about that is that the Sharks have the third lowest um, spend on yeah. that tax and yet somehow... Yeah, look at Manly. I mean, it didn't stop Dez. <laughs> I mean, it seems to not work for T-Baz. No. But, uh, yeah, by the way, do you like the fact that T-Baz might have to, in serving out his 12 months' notice, go and be the facilities manager yeah. at Narrabeen <laughs> until irony. July next yeah. year? Yeah, right. That would the be beautiful. I was also going to suggest that it's yearly. There's lots of planning. You don't always win. You suggest the salary caps, which True. is great. Would you also then say that your success in tax um, is due in part to your success with rugby league broadcasting or that they go hand in hand? I am going to call you – you're very successful in rugby league broadcasting. I'm worried that you're winding up to say something that, humble about it. That I'm retiring. No, um, <laughs> look, I'll, t- I'll tell this. Uh, part of what we do is advocacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I came out of high school – in the university doing things like debating and things like that. So I do a lot of presentation. I do a lot of lobbying with governments. So I speak at conferences and things like that on specific subject matter. So if you've got other subject matter, it's pretty much the same. (laughs) And so my foray into broadcasting in more recent years comes off a fairly solid base of, uh, you know, yakking my head off, I guess. Okay. And now that we've established that you're an expert uh, expert in the field, in fact, I'm going to go so far to say is that you're a guru in in it, uh, which player would you now get to do your taxes if you were pressed? Well, I think I think we can all agree it would be someone from the Storm <laughs> because they've got increased processing mm. power and it's just a matter of uh, <laughs> providing the correct data. If I yeah. looked at the personalities in the Storm, I think there's something awry with Cameron Munster's wiring at the moment. Mm. Um, the cliche would, of course, be Cameron Smith, the yes, accountant. The accountant. Mm. But there's a trust issue here. I mean, your accountant is not just a number cruncher. They have to be a trusted advisor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the storms, just sort of cycling through who they currently have, you'd probably get the grunt work done by someone who's enthusiastic, like Brodie Croft, yep. you know, to make a name for themselves. I'm and, worried about his errors, though. Yeah. And, and then I like a little bit of Maverick spirit. So possibly Chase Blair. Yes. For the fact that he wears long sleeves. <laughs> and people said, what is he? He knows he's got some sort of horrible disfigurement or something. He says, no, it's Melbourne. It's cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that pragmatism. So probably Chase Blair and Brodie Croft would do my work. Great. And he's a battler. That makes sense. Sure. He's, like he's, yeah, know, he's not, yeah, he's not uh, getting a saloon passage anywhere and, in fact, no. did great work and was replaced by Will Chambers and, and Bellamy that, might regret that. Yes. If... Uh, I'm not sure if your life aspirations as a kid were to be in finance or sports radio, but were you a big football fan as a kid? So the first football that I played was rugby union. Okay. And that was at the age of 10. Uh, and then our school lost the ability to play rugby union. I played a year of soccer. Lost the – what yeah. do you mean there? There were not enough schools in the district to oh, play. Oh, okay, okay. So you guys got to play soccer in year six. I was worried that your Melbourne Storm kicked out or something. No, no. Ta- no and, okay. and, yeah, yeah, for salary cap breaches. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, misuse of the education grant. <laughs> and that was very much a, a bleak year. Mm. In terms of being a football fan, it was around the time that I started playing rugby union that I was conscious of rugby league. Okay. And uh, I was thinking about this the other day. There's no doubt that the trigger for my interest in rugby league was television. Yes. And uh, 
Rex Moss have had a show called Sports Action on Channel 7 and, of course, the very famous Controversy Corner, yeah. which has been revived by Fox League this year <laughs> yeah. and not totally unsuccessfully in my view. And it was the romance of the people talking about the game and the passion, like, you know, Rex and his cohorts would argue vociferously about these issues that it attracted me, plus the colours. Right. Because rugby union to me was always muted, ah. sort of English design, sort of not like like sort of almost they weren't pastels, but they were muted colours. Yeah. And I'd see the rugby league jerseys on TV, and they were blazingly bright. And what year is this? By this the way? is this is this is sort of like early seventies. Okay. And then I live in Hunter Silk, not far from where we're broadcasting. And uh, obviously, the Meth Lab, aka Balmain Lease Club, was <laughs> uh, on Victoria Road. Yeah. And we would drive recurrently past the oval sign that would light up, which yeah. was a tiger leaping over a football. Mm. And I was done. Yeah. You know, that colour scheme, yeah. that imagery, and my connection to television, which was very, very deep as a child. Right. And I haven't gone away from it, uh, how I became a football fan. It wasn't through family reasons. My, my dad was okay. a sailor and a fisher, and uh, my mother enjoyed tennis and swimming. Uh, there was no rugby league consciousness in our house at all. It was discovered wow. through the magic of TV. Wow. So you were a, a blazing, um, what are those people called when you're doing it for the first time? Rookie. <laughs> sure. Of the family. You, there was no yeah, one there was, there was, pioneer. That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and within the extended family, particularly my father's family, they grew up on Cremorne on the lower north shore of Sydney and they were absolutely sailors and and fishermen, but particularly competitive sailors. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you go to a huge amount of games now. Yep. Um, you didn't go to many then much as a child, I'm assuming? No. So I, I can – I was actually at the Newtown Jets presentation night last night and yep. I got hauled up on stage by Albi Talajico and, <laughs> you know, wanted to establish my credentials early. So I can tell you the very first, first grade game I went to – which was at Henson Park in 1975. Okay. I went with my schoolmate, Stephen Ray, who lived at the school I went to, which was Newington College. His father was a headmaster and he was a massive Roosters fan. Oh. So the Jets were playing the Roosters at Henson, so we went down on the Sunday afternoon. I clearly remember sitting on the hill. I was already a Balmain Tigers fan of yep. several years standing, but I'd never seen them play. Wow. And live, you'd see them live, on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, you didn't see them much on TV, TV because mm. it used just to be replays of the match of the round, so you didn't see the titles. <laughs> yeah, okay. And my clear memories are that the Roosters won five tries to two in the three point try era. The score was 19 to 14. Royce Ayliff played for the Roosters that day and bludged in the centres all day, given that he was a centre. <laughs> when I started getting involved with the Jets a few years ago, I went and looked at the record. In fact, the Roosters won 15 to six. Okay. And Royce Ayliff didn't even play. <laughs> Yes. I was going to say, because you have an incredible memory. So I was going to say, if you're already doing it in 75, that's no, completely wrong. And, and then for the balance of high school, the most rugby league I saw live was at Leichhardt, but it was the Amco Cup. It was midweek. Yeah, midweek, yeah. You know, it's, we're sort of, I guess, year 11, year 12. Um, the parents were absolutely fine that we went and saw that game after footy training or, or whatever it mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of that. Um, before I started to regularly go watch the Tigers. And also in that mid-70s time, is this when Beetson's playing for them and, and maybe Fairfax and they're, and they're winning premierships? Yeah, so the Roosters won 74-75. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, so, that, so my mate, of course, was absolutely cock with <laughs> And they were uh, outstanding sides. And, and one clear memory, as I said, I love the iconography of rugby league, was there was a, uh, up on a Dremoyne, I think it was called Luck Hoskins, it was a VW dealership, a Volkswagen okay. dealership. And in 75, where the Roosters gave it to the Dragons, 38 blot, there were 12 VW Beetles lined up in the presentation area of the Volkswagen display on Victoria Road. 
and those Beatles were all painted in the 12 clubs, no. colours of the Sydney clubs. Incredible. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it was just to me it was just magic to drive yes. past them and see them. Yeah. After the grand final, just in the in the front windows, there were the numbers 38 in the Roosters car and nil wow. in the Dragons car. So they were really strong yeah. rugby league memories for me. That's excellent. I wish that would happen. That kind of stuff would happen now. I mean, as an adult, you said that you're uh, you were a Bowman Tigers fan. You're currently a West Tigers fan. Do you buy much into the rivalry of the joint venture? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. I mean, I probably up to my involvement as a Tigers fan by becoming a season ticket holder when they went to Parramatta in the mid-90s yep. when everyone was Sydney. So there was mm. the Sydney mm. City Roosters. They are now the Sydney Roosters. They're not Easts. Mm. Um, Sydney Bulldogs and Sydney Tigers. And I had a genuine concern that the franchise would fold. Right. So I felt a greater compulsion to get involved and be a supporter and head out every week. And all. And, and in, in a weird way, me and another mate, Rob, we would go out and it was a bit of a pilgrimage and we felt good about things and we'd play putt-putt and everything <laughs> on the way back. Oh, yeah. So I became a member of the Leafs Club and I went to the vote. And, uh, yeah, okay. And, you know, I you know I had a number of mates in the legal profession who were involved in all the, the, the goings-on. Yeah, and, and we're going to get to South and those people yeah, soon. Yeah. And for mine, I sat in that um, meeting the sort of the toughest thing was seeing Laurie Nichols ball his eyes out, mm. um, though quixotically he ultimately supported oh, no. the venture and then died before they played. Oh, no, it's a sad story. So it's a sad story. Uh, and the vote was more resounding in Balmain than West, but but by astronomically different figures. Like I think it was like 500 to 6 or something like that. Right. But I walked out of the 89 grand final convinced that Balmain would never win the premiership, the way yeah. the game was going, Broncos, New Zealand, those sorts of things. Really? Yeah, you know, the too many clubs in the one area, yeah. they, they just wouldn't be strong. I walked out of the 99 meeting going, in a sense, they're more like a franchise or a license or something, and they will all be trying to appeal beyond their geographic boundaries. And I said, it's possible that they could win a premiership. The fact that they did six years later is quicker than I thought, and I'm so grateful they did because who knows when it will happen again. Mm. So to me, to me, there was no choice. Uh, it was the right decision, and I just flipped immediately. I imagine it was slightly easier for a Balmain fan than a West fan. Because of the Tigers? Yes. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. The original deal that was almost happened was Parramatta Tigers, mm. and then it became revealed that actually all Parramatta, which came from a position of relative strength, I was interested in was the the logo right? because you could sell more stuffed tigers than eels. Yeah, okay. And they didn't want any of the playing group or anything like that. Right. So with the deal that the NRL or what it was called then, I guess, um, uh, put on the table, you had two clubs who were both below the eligibility criteria coming from relative equality and mm. and the idea of a Western Corridor all made sense. And I just flipped immediately. Didn't get to the first game at Campbelltown but remember listening to it on the radio and I didn't feel any... Um, angst or pangs of what it could have been. Right. Would I have liked Balmain to survive? Of course. Mm. But it just it didn't seem possible to me. So having gone through those that sort of five years where I thought they might go the way of Newtown, yeah. this was a brilliant result. And so also from the, your time in the 70s where you, you're getting to love those things, Wests themselves are, are a kind of um, rugby union dire colour thing But you had no ill feeling towards Wes And you've got some weird Well from my perspective You've got some um, weird views of different clubs How did you feel about Wests before the venture? Oh, so I, when I was a kid I knew what my four favourite teams were yeah. uh, It was Balmain followed by Cronulla And yeah, Cronulla, Cronulla. Was very, Cronulla was very much around the play, who the playing group yeah, was yeah. And then sort of 
I, I think it went west north, something like that. So okay. I had four posters in my room. Um, uh, I wish I'd kept those posters. They were just sort of drawn of generic players and you know. You did and, them? No, 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 oh, no. Okay. No, God no. Uh, so I'd always had a soft spot for West. Yeah. Okay. And then you know, I kind of enjoyed the, uh, you know, I really enjoyed the Silver Tails. Yeah, fibro yeah, yeah. thing, Roy Masters. So I felt that they were simpatico, and I mean, you never, you never t- really thought, oh, Balmain West, there's a grudge match. Yeah, in the same way that Manly and North clearly was, yeah. and, and that was doomed from the start. The Northern <laughs> Eagles, you mm. know. So, so no, I, I like you know, I embraced. In fact, I can tell you one story to symbolise this. Yeah, they had a team of the century dinner in two thousand and eight. So I guess the the joint venture has been going for six, seven years by this stage, eight, eight years. And it was held at the casino and they named the team of the century. And, of course, Balmain having won more premierships than West, they named nine Balmain players and eight Western Suburbs players. Mm. And I took along – I had a table, but I, I'd, one of the people I'd become friendly with was a financial trader, like a markets guy, called Atta, and he was a West fan. And he was so diehard that when he was working in Melbourne, he would fly back in the early 90s to see West get touched up at Arana Park by 50 <laughs> points, right? So, so he and I were sort of like the symbol of the, at our table of the two teams coming together. And they had a commemorative football uh, on the table. It was just part of the package. And you just had – it was heaven. Like it was a glittering array. They'd really gone all out to get all the great players from the okay. previous areas. So we actually went around and did something I would never do and got – all the people we wanted to sign that. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, Frank Hyde, uh, beautiful cursive, boxed mm. his signature. My favourite Balmain player, Larry Corowa. You know, the blockers and the bennies and, yep. and whatever. And I said, in the spirit of the merger, I said, Ada, you have the ball for six months and then I'll have the ball for six months. About 18 months later, I'm over at his place and it occurred <laughs> to me, I said, oh, where's that ball? And he goes, I'll get it for you. And he's got, he's got two young kids mm. and he presents the ball and there's not a skerrick of texter left. They've been kicking it around the backyard. Oh. But, and it's the one piece of memorabilia that I was connected to that I would have liked to have preserved. Mm. So Frank's box signature is gone. But th- to me, those things were good symbols. I know administratively it's been very fraught. Yep. And I think that the current situation is probably the best it's been because Balmain is so weak. Right. And so the West guys have sort of controlled it. And I think it's a far better solution than where you've got, you had the independent directors holding sway, who I just don't think understood football. Yeah. What, okay. So now thinking about that, what do you think is the next step the club needs to take to get success? The, the, in, in um, uh, oh, let's say 40, 50 years' time, where dinosaur like me has disappeared, <laughs> the, pe- the, ki- the kid right now knows nothing else. Yeah. Right. And eventually, no one will know nothing else. Mm. If they can survive that traverse, then the issue is it, it really is of historic interest. Yeah, right. In the same way that whether they have to sort of continue to unwind the sort of the, the structures of the two clubs competitively, I don't know. But I think eventually you'd like to think that it comes together. And what about grand final success? So you somehow savanted we would get a grand final when we first came together. Can you see legitimately won soon and if so is it through coaching is it through development is it through what's it through right so i'd say the answer to that is no i can't say right um well, is, that's a shame yeah <laughs> is, is i think one realities of modern professional sport is natural aggregation of power and influence right and i mean it's sort of untrammeled you get the premier league right so yes you get a leicester city mm. but it's a miracle yeah i mean every year you go to the table who's on top man city man yeah, united 
Arsenal, Liverpool, mm. Chelsea, etc., etc., and most of them have a Russian billionaire attached to them, mm. right? You look at our rugby league, you cannot... I mean, we are in the age of politis, there's yeah. no doubt about it. And they were musing that he's going to leave a half-billion-dollar war chest to the roosters when he goes, right? And we've got the... Half NRL, billion, did you say? Yeah, half a billion, 500 million. Oh, yeah. my God. And his estimated fortune is about 750 million. So he's just giving a big slice to the roosters because he's got... You know, Waverley Bowling Club, the League's Club, a whole uh, block of Spring Street, all that sort of thing. Okay. And, of course, Peter Beattie's come in in the NRL and compared with the AFL and said, we don't own any assets. Mm. Right. So I do regard the Tigers as Tier 2. Right. And so when things like the Penrith coaching issue around the Clearies plays out, to me, so far it has played out exactly as I expected it. Right. Because you would you would put Penrith in a tier one, hundred percent, yeah, right. Yeah. And okay. I mean, people can say what they like about Phil Gould, but I mean, that's a great catchment area. It's got they, they yeah. took the development philosophy, they built some infrastructure that services mm. the community, and you go, they will persist, I yeah. think. And you know, we sort of just don't have that. the right people. Mm. I mean, Parramatta at the moment is is desperately trying to do a Penrith model. They've just seen that the Penrith model is working. They could do it. They had the. Really flagging grand final luncheon. It's not the event it used to be. And it used to be chaotic and people getting drunk and they can't hear and the presentations were not <laughs> being paid attention to. But it had a sort of a chaos that was a, very attractive. Yeah. And it uh, happens on the Friday before the grand final. The best one ever, of course, was 2005 because mm. the players aren't there. Yeah. And Sheen's got up and spoke. And I'm a pessimist about results and I was convinced we were going to win. Yeah, well, wow. It was really great. What did uh, he say to give you that? Just survive? He, yeah, he just yeah. said. You, you kind of felt we did luck out getting the Cowboys. Yeah. Just, well, we'd, we'd beaten them 50 nil or something. 54, yeah. It seemed like a pretty good passageway. <laughs> the single defining moment of that playoff run for me was going back and watching the replay of the Dragons game, which yes, I was at. I did that recently too. And Hodgson runs on the field with the biggest smile on his face, like, a how, <laughs> how good are this? And you contrast it with Trent Barrett's face. Right, right. Right? Like they, they, were just, they were so serious to the point of panic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this lunch would... It's sort of centerpiece was the end was that, you know, you could go around, again, not really me, but a lot of like my partner and her girlfriends were, and they just get a whole lot of shots with the players and right. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And Noel Kelly was, you know, kind of semi-touching them up and all that sort of thing. Oh, Hello, Noel. Charming. And that's all gone. This lunch, now under the new RLPA com- uh, collective bargaining, the players are officially on holidays and are obligated not to attend. Oh, wow. Because it's a breach of work. No. Right? The one player who was there was Robbie because they had a lot of the 2005 guys there. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I was quite keen through my sponsorship to see if I could, you know, get him interested in doing an interview and the club said, we can't introduce you. I wow. I go and do it myself. And then when we got Marina and Justin, uh, the chair and the – in typical fashion, you know, Justin put up one graph. It's not death by PowerPoint, but look at our engagement, look at our merch, look at our sponsorship, look, blah, blah, blah. There was very little discussion of the on-field – um, mm. success and there was no mention about the Ivan Cleary situation mm. it was as though it wasn't happening mm. and I think if that's how you solve or look at things you're condemned to be who you are yeah I guess I know the Roosters the best a friend of mine used to be directed there I've sort of seen cl- I've broken bread with Politis after they got eliminated by <laughs> Brisbane in 2015 and it was straight out of the Godfather yeah and you just go there they attract for socioeconomic reasons people of certain caliber who yeah. end up in managerial positions and it's difficult you know you're nine nine clubs in the sydney area and all that sort Mm. of stuff you're really competing for talent you're competing for resources as a player sponsor you sort of look at the difference in organizations involved and you just go 
you're up against it. You haven't got a Russian billionaire. Yeah. That would be my solution. But what about Charlie Stubbs Holden or whatever his name is? Bradley Charles Stubbs? Yeah. The coach he, whisperer? He came through. I become, I'm, you know, I need to be discreet, but uh, Bradley and I are in contact, which became evident on the FBI interview. So I don't know how much of his story you know, but uh, he really has come to prominence in the last five years because of the work he's done in sport. Yeah. So he had a deal with Madge Maguire that they'd each sever a finger if they didn't win the 2014 yep. Premiership, and he just works with a coach. Mm. And it's on energy and power words and all this sort of stuff. And even he acknowledges that most people think he's crazy. Yeah. And he then went through a passage of Checker, second in the World Cup for Rugby Union, the street with Eddie Jones in England, Graham Arnold at Sydney FC and now into the Roosters. Mm. And as he loves to tell the story, Jimmy Smith, um, well-known player and broadcaster, and he were having a coffee at Allianz Cafe, and Blake Solly, the current South CEO, was over there. Oh, that's right, yes. And Bradley says he's been trolling me, and Jimmy goes, I'll introduce you. And he goes up to Blake, he says, you're not going to like this, and do you want some bad news? He goes, yeah, give it to him. He says, South will win three of their last six, tick. Roosters will win the minor premiership, which they did on for and against, yeah. based on their last performance. Doesn't matter, they still win it, yeah. Yep. And then they win the whole thing. Mm. And uh, so I certainly have pitched him, if he's free next year, <laughs> whoever we get, he might come and work his magic for us. But, uh, yeah. Stop working is. with Tier 1 people, Charlie yeah. Stubbs, yeah. Holden. Come and work yeah. with Tier 2. Yeah. Bradley Charles Stubbs. Bradley, you yeah, you got to get that right. Yeah. It's like Bradley <laughs> Charles Stubbs <laughs> was convicted of a freight. No, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the full name. He loves using his full name. Yeah. Okay. His sign-off, he's got a great text sign-off, which is the coach whisperer, expect to win, done, done, done. And there is a pic- <laughs> the And there is a picture, a journal entry he wrote with... Trent Robinson in December last year saying that you will win in 2018 and Trent and he holding the book and it's all come true. But, yeah, I... I, I, I can't wait. Then. Thank you. Thank so, you for bringing Charlie Charles. So, Charlie Styles Stubbs. Bradley Charles oh, Stubbs. Damn. BCS. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a really simplistic thing for me to say, but a Russian billionaire would sort of solve our problem. That's actually a paradigm for what I think you should do in professional sport is don't alienate your supporter base, work with supporter base, but try and find ways to attract calibre people into your organisation yeah. because that's where you'll have people, for example, who can handle player managers. Mm. You know, player agents is just like the, mm. the, the way in which the Tigers got played. Now, one thing I'll credit Cleary, I'm Cleary with, is I'll deal with this. I'll extend my runway if I call the bluff and the big four got kind of yeah. blown apart. And, you know, Aaron Woods ended up with someone he didn't want to be, I don't think, and look at Tedesco, look how great. Yeah, I'm just to paint that, that yeah. scenario. Could you see it working the other way? Wait, no. Yeah, that's mm. the, that's the issue. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not despondent and Leicester City, but I do feel it's kind of three playoffs in 19 years of the joint venture. I'm just happy to make the playoffs. Man. Yeah, so that's and, uh, and that's small club mentality, right? It's tier two. Let's keep thinking about the future, though. If you could choose to go to a game with anyone in 2019, yep. who would you really want to go with? Like, do you go and watch the game? Yeah. That's a, uh, a very, very interesting question. Would you like my answer while you mull it over? Sure. So I have to do it with Bill Harrigan, the referee, because I know referees see games very differently. You've actually spent a lot of time with him. Well, not a lot of time, but I know you've interviewed I've him. I've interviewed Bill, yeah. Yeah, through yeah. Triple M. Yeah. Is, is he a good choice, do you think, to go to the football with? Yeah, I think, I think he uh, – look, I genuinely agree with him because of his philosophy. Yes. And Which I, is? Well, the, the referees need to create an environment in which the game – thrives yes and you do that by um having natural charisma and authority and an ability to back up by your actions yes so i play a lot of basketball playing after this podcast and i think too many referees when they're brought on board they're they're given the list of powers 
by which they can discipline players if they talk back, abuse you, complain, etc. So the first thing they hear, you've got tech fouls, ejections, etc. like that. Uh, they don't understand. If you're able to establish the parameters and saying contact will be called strictly, people have a limited resource, which is fouls in basketball, mm. and they'll naturally back off and you get a, a game. And you've got to be clear and you've got to communicate. Yeah. And Harrigan, you know, everyone will gravitate to what he did in Origin, but I think he generally, he everyone says he was the best referee yeah. because of that. So I think he'd be a, a good choice. Yeah. And also I, they, they end up having to be... They have to read games so incredibly well because their entire career is based on where they end up on the field to, to be able to see what's happening. Yeah. And so I think that man then has spent so many hours reading games in a particular way that that others haven't, that that he still is inadvertently, subconsciously and consciously reading a game in a very different way now. Yeah, and I mean the, the sort of revelations that the current referees are assessed where mm. they have 100 points and then they get deducted points for errors and that's error. insane. It doesn't work like that. And I think that that's why they say referees, when they have the ability to go to video and so forth, is that they start to lose confidence in themselves. So they start to go through process and protocol yeah. rather than having, for want of a better term, a feel for the game. Yeah. I guess I'd have to go back and say Larry Corroy. I mean, you know, if he's my favourite ever rugby league player, why wouldn't I want to watch the game with him? Yeah. And what are you hoping you get out of it other than fangirling him the entire time? I don't think a fangirl. I'd just be very interested in what's happened in his life subsequently. You're going to distract him from the game. You're just going to talk to him. (laughs) Well, there's so many stoppages, you know. Now with an injury, the whole game stops. (laughs) And he might, you know, one of the interesting things about elite sports people, one of the guys I know really well is Pat Richards. Okay. And Patty was the first guy I sponsored and he was back at the lunch the other day and um, he says, you know, he wants to catch up and come on the radio and whatever. And he said something to me really interesting, which was really early in my sponsorship. He said, because he was going to go to Wigan. Mm Mm-hmm. That was after the 2005 premiership. And, and I go, what prompted that? And he said, you know, a lot of my teammates wouldn't understand that, but rugby league isn't everything to me. Right. And he said, if it's the thing, because he was a good high-level cricketer as well, he said, if it's the thing that gets me and my wife, and now it's his family, he's got kids now, to go live in a foreign country yeah. and see the world, that's what we're going to do. Right. And he said, and we, you know, obviously, yeah, north of England, but he said it is a gateway to Europe. And when he came back after eight years, he said, we really did it. Mm. And one of the things I noticed in elite sportsmen, the really good ones, is it perhaps doesn't matter in the way that it does to others and it gives them some sort of freedom. I went to uh, high school with Nick Far Jones. I'm still f- friendly with him. Right. And I know for a fact he was more interested in golf, probably cricket and swimming and rugby sort of came forth and it's always well documented he was in the second 15 right but then he did it as a social thing at university and he sort of grew into his body and weighed him down and so when you meet someone like Korowa you know what was the game to you what did right. it mean to you okay. uh he had this incredible speed uh he shot to prominence I think he was playing for northern districts of New South Wales against the touring Great Britain Lions and it became this cult thing because he scored four tries and the referees commentary every time, and they won't catch Korowa, yeah, right? Yeah. And he came to our club, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like he's my favourite player as a default. So I won't. I've been lucky to meet a lot of the '80s Tigers, okay, and sort of form views on them, and um, and then through the sponsorship, I've certainly had exposure to a number of the current players in the world of rugby league. So, so I, talk me through this spon- the player sponsorship thing because at the beginning of the games when they say David Nofaluma sponsored by yeah. Yogurt, I just assumed it was. Uh, no one's really in, in, in choosing this. It's just Yogurt said we'd like a player and they've just ended up with David. But that, but you actually are choosing that. Well, it's changed. A, what am I as a fan? And I had a, a consultancy business that you referred to before and 
I, at that stage, owned it outright, so I had a little bit of control. And I said, well, what if I divert a little bit of cash to the club as a, a sign of commitment and involvement? And I wasn't really interested in the advertising mm-hmm. aspects of it. It was just mm-hmm. a way of connecting a bit through the medium of your business and sort of taking a stake in an interest. And, of course, people think that the money's going to the player, which it's not, of course. It's no, just going to the consolidated revenue of the club. It's got nothing to yeah. do with yeah, yeah. salary cap or anything like that. And the idea is just profiling and connection and networking ideas. But to me, it was just like being involved. And the centrepiece for me is a box at Leica, right? Mm. And in those days, they put a value against the players. Okay. And there was a sort of priority for existing sponsors. And the first player I picked was Pat because he was new and I was new. And then I was flying oh, up. that's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. And I was flying up to Brisbane for work and I had a, the paper and opened up and they played a preseason game at Blue Tongue Stadium and he busted his leg. <laughs> and I had the contract in my bag. I hadn't signed it. And then they contacted him and he said, oh, well, obviously Pat can't play for a long time. Do you want someone else? I said, no. Yeah. I'm sticking with the guy. Yeah, yeah. So they, so Jason Moody, they sort of gave me as an interim was Jason Moody. Okay. And then, of course. So what year is this? 2004. 2004. Oh, four. Okay. And, that year, by the way, with my Roosters mates that I was referring to before, we went out of Campbelltown and I think we were down 40 nil at half time. <laughs> and there was a kid sitting about three along from us from about the 20 minute mark, bawling his eyes out. Oh, no. <laughs> and I just said, Kid, I feel your pain. Yeah. Never imagining that we'd be winning the comp yeah. the following year. And of course, the riches off the flick pass try and whatever. Yeah. Over the years, you know. So you were sponsoring him in the 05 oh, yeah. when he scored yeah. that. Wow. Well, and that's well, my, that's well. my, I actually, I managed grand final week by reading no media. I just didn't want to get my anxiety levels up. I went to sleazeball the night before, but left it a very modest. And the only time I really kind of lost it was the try. Yeah. Because in the surge of adrenaline, I'd convinced myself that he'd surged and he'd actually run over the dead ball line, hadn't put the ball down. <laughs> Turns out he had, it was all good. It was all fine. It was a proper try. Yeah. But yeah, it was all part of that, you know. Wow. And, you know, the whole thing where he, you know, was announced fit to play when I went yeah, back and watched yeah. the replay and the boys go crazy in the yeah. rooms. And he's just a nice guy and his wife was great. And he and they and my partner, we all bonded over Big Brother. We were all watching that. Okay. Right? Over the years, they've sort of played around <laughs> with the idea. Currently, it's just a number. You buy and we randomly allocated a number. You say, I want to be a player oh, sponsor. Okay, and, okay. And, and they drew it out at the West Sassfield Club, and we got, oh, I got number five. But at the lunch, and this is classic time because I probably shouldn't say this, but they auctioned the number one jersey. Mm. And I sort of sat, and then I got it for about seven grand less than what I played this season. And it's Moses Empire, so you know. So you got it for next year then? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but, so there was just an auction item and I got it for cheaper than what I paid yeah, through the general process. But my, my longest recurrent relationship was with Chris Lawrence. And, and so you spend some time with him? He seems yeah, like a really nice bloke Yeah, Chris as well. is a fantastic guy. And Kath, which was his high school sweetheart, they're married now, just had a kid. Yeah, beautiful kid. And, and Chris is, you know, as advertised. And I, what, right. what, what appealed to me was um, he had a bit of entrepreneurial spirit because he had this training academy for school kids. He was interested in his area. And uh, again, when um, we lost Pat in 2005, I went for someone who was, there was a bit of a transition, but when I was able to, to get him, I got him. He's been always good. He's come and done the radio a few times, yep. had him in Triple M towards the end of last year. And, you know, he's had his travails, that kid. I mean, broke, yeah. you know, the dislocated hip yep. and whatever. Yeah. But I've assigned the sponsorship to a group called Sister to Sister. It's run by a woman called Jess Brown. Get out of town. I know that one because of the right. player advertising. Right. It's working. That's right. <laughs> I said, I don't really, I'm not in it for the exposure of the advertising. So what can I do with it? And one of my work colleagues at the time had been a big sister. It's like a big sister, little sister program. Okay. And they partner corporate 
women with disadvantaged girls from the southwest of Sydney, uh. broken homes, drugs, unemployment, alcohol, all that sort of stuff. And they work together in a curated way intensively for a year to show that there are other pathways. And so I went to, I got introduced to the founder, a woman called Jess Brown. Um, she's had a, a very interesting life and tough life in some ways herself. And she's New South Wales Woman of the Year a little while ago. And I said, all your ambassadors are female. So Jacinta Tynan, Natalie Bassingthwaite, people like that. Would your organisation and your board be interested in being associated with a sport that's had its issues in relation to women? Right. But I said, this is good. And I mean, I think the Tigers have made some achievements in this area. And the board considered it and they said yes. So they get all the exposure and, Great. you know, players come to their camp. And um, we were going to have a touch football game before the St George game this year, but it didn't quite come to pass for various reasons. It's an association I'm trying to get a little bit more leverage on, but there was such a natural fit with Chris because he was from Campbelltown. Right. And that's their traditional catchment area. Yeah. So that's, that's what I do there. Yeah. Wow. Now let's stop thinking about the future. Let's th- go back into the past. If you could go to any game, which do you really wish you had seen? Had seen. Uh, look, I suppose I was not at the 88 grand final. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this so, is the one against Canterbury where yeah, Terry and In those Lamb. days, I didn't know how to get to a grand final, and it was a lot harder in those days. I scalped, it's probably the only time I've ever scalped tickets for the 89. Okay. Which was, you know, the worst time. In that month, I had my house broken into. I broke my league playing basketball, <laughs> and we lost an extra time. And I say, rob my house, break my leg, but give me that grand final. <laughs> But it was, but it's still. I always find losing easier to handle when I'm there. I hate watching games on TV. Right. I think when you at the game, you kind of somehow you sense why you do or don't win. Um, I think you also get to mourn with with people. That's yeah. why you go to a funeral. Shared experience. Yeah. Whereas when you do it at home, you've kind of turned the TV off, and then you're sitting you're sitting there in your own kind of disbelief. <laughs> One of the more extraordinary experiences I had that that was in cricket. The the last uh, cricket World Cup that was played in Australia. And we played India in the semi-final at the cricket ground. And Australia touched India up. But towards the end, all the Indian people had been partying and, you know, you know, supporting their team. Mm. When the realisation that the game was over and it was petering out to a bad loss for India because they just couldn't get the runs, they just started to form groups and exactly do what you said. Yeah. Sort of share the disappointment. Yeah. And somehow Heal them start the healing them. process. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, the obvious other one you would say is 69 grand final. Mm. I wouldn't have appreciated it, though. I was only just <laughs> – that would be my first awareness of Balmain and saying, oh, I like Balmain. It's as early as 69. Right. And I know where I was. I was at Jocelyn Edmonds' eighth birthday party. <laughs> my mother helped me make it. I wore a, a mock space helmet. I went as Neil Armstrong. Oh, great. The movie Very, First Man coming yeah. out right now. Because <laughs> uh, I was obsessed with the space program. And I still see – I have one picture from – like a black and white photo from that party – and in, a, in their, their backyard, and I know the TV was on and the game was on. Wow. And I was pleased that Balmain won. Right. Because I knew the Tiger jumping over the yeah. ball. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I think I think 88, just to have been there and supported Ellery through his... Yeah. Tell him to duck times. or something. Oh, yeah. Well, I would, um, on a similar vein, I would have picked 09, just so I could... Sorry, 1909, just so I could tell... Um, the boys at South are just about to deceive us in such a horrible way. And, in fact, as an objective guru of the game, would you suggest that South's actions were the worst the game has ever had to endure and, dare I say it, un-Australian? <laughs> I don't believe in the concept of un-Australian at all, so I love to wheel it out to criticise other people. Yeah. 
Um, for example, my uh, broadcast contemporary on uh, uh, Weekend Legends Rose is not a member of Canterbury. Mm. He worked for Canterbury, but he's still not a member. And I just go, that is un-Australian. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. can you say that you're a <laughs> yeah. dog supporter? Yeah, and not, you know, I said you could just sign up as literally as a dog. I think the, <laughs> the dog can join for forty bucks or something. You know, it's not much of a commitment. Yeah. Um, but uh, look, South is just a, a, a byword for skullduggery. I mean, pride of the league, I don't think so. As you said, it happened in 1909 with the whole all golds fiasco. Yes. And it's never stopped. Mm. It's really never stopped. Mm. And uh, how do they um, navigate their way through the, the recent um, uh, texting uh, uh, issue? In, mm. You know, the poor old dog's got hammered and even Karen Murphy, the integrity officer, said, no, there's nothing to... So you know, I think it's because of some technical flaw in the pictures were illegally passed Obtained on by the person. By yeah. a Roosters fan, someone else pointed out like that has yeah. anything to do with it. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. But, but, I mean, to me the zenith was uh, when they got kicked out. Yeah. And Great, because that was my next leading question, and I'm glad you brought it up yourself. <laughs> because there was genuine pain that we all went through in yeah. the merger. And as I said, while I thought it was the only alternative, it was not my preferred alternative, mm. but it was the only alternative. And the criteria were clear. And Souths just had this sort of born to rule mentality that somehow they were above the law. Yeah. Right. And and that because they won the most comps, that made them different. Yes. And they were on their knees. And they were on their knees when they came back into the league despite the march of the 80,000, none of whom made it out to Homebush Stadium. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it was uh, Russell Crowe who saved them. I think I might have said that when I was on this show last yeah, time. but he's their Russian billionaire. He is. Yeah. And, and, and you know, with Holmes Accord, yeah. I haven't met Holmes Accord, but he did get interviewed on Fire Up before my time on Fire Up. And uh, and sort of, I guess, Jamie Packer's come in in some sort of substitution yeah. role. He is the reason they survived and he's the reason why they won. Yeah. And that's kind of the simplicity of what I was saying before. Yeah. Is, if you, you can know. get a hat, a, a tiger's hat on Oprah's head, then we're going to win a grand well, final. And you've yeah. got to, you know, as, as much as you can be a figure of fun. And he, if if you ever ask me what's the one guest I'd want to have, right? It's definitely Russell, right? Because we've probably ridden him the hardest, I think. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Dalai Lama, Cruz, <laughs> just a litany of people who've worn the, the rabbit. Yeah. White, black, or silver. So. Hold on, Dalai Lamas wore that hat. Yeah, the Dalai Lamas wore the rooster, no, the uh, rabbit's hat. Yeah, there's pictures. You go online. There's pictures of the Dalai Lama in a South hat. And he, look, if you you're out often at things, he, I know he was drinking at a local Sydney bar recently, pineapple and something. So a friend of mine who's, who works in bars had a long chat with him. He was a very lovely bloke, very forthcoming. Well, if you think about it, would you do any differently if you had access to his wealth in the situation that, say, Balmain was in? Mm. Oh, 100% I would. I think about it all the time. I try and work out why the Wiggles guy doesn't do it. He's got to be worth the same as Russell Crowe. You know his story about the 2005 grand final? No. So Anthony, the Blue Wiggle, uh, he had not his first child, but a child was born on grand final night. And he was asked um, the next day by someone who says, what an incredible night last night. He goes, yeah, yeah, and I also had a son born. (laughs) Yes. In fact, I heard Benji uh, uh, say the same thing. He was, he was in preseason this year that when they had their baby, and he said he, he was going to have to miss some of the preseason games, and that he would, you know, children are really important. He would always do that. And then he said, unless it was a grand final, That's I would true. miss. Uh, I would miss my child for a grand final. Um, let's let's move uh, into more positive notes. We've just you've just mentioned an experience that you wish you'd have. To me, it's. It was the romance of the game I acquired through the television, mm-hmm. right? So even though I've said, you know, 69, I can remember the game and the Balmain connection was local, I got interested in the game because, you know, and, he, and he was a big part of, uh, of Fire Up's iconography. I've still got the mug. 
And I was saying at this Newtown Jet Sing last night, if you want to understand how our show is, two of the quotes we aired were Rex Moss of quotes. Yeah. One was, smack these bottom with a beautiful <laughs> bit of football. <laughs> yeah. And the other one was, it's a sad, sad commentary on some of the idiots who follow Australian yeah. sport, <laughs> which was actually when someone threw a bottle at the linesman at the 77 replay, I think, between Parramatta and St. George okay. and knocked him out. Right. Right. And that's where the line. My father was a set of sailor and, you know, Still alive, great man, 92, very opinionated. And there's something about Rex's demeanour and my father's when they're talking on their pet subject. I kind of connected in that okay, way. Okay. So it's kind of like watching my dad yes. on TV. And just I'm I'm a fan of comedy and, you know, it would be tropes like Ferris Ashton, uh, uh, who was from, until not long before he passed away, he'd fought at the Anzac Day ceremony on the truck representing the Roosters. He was a massive Roosters fan, so he'd always wear like a check jacket, which would be a white jacket with red and blue stripes and whatever. And every week when they do tips, who do you like in East versus West? And he goes, oh, the Roosters, and they'd be coming last. Like he, yeah, that yeah. thing, I think he, he was the first guy ever who never tipped against his team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was always – they had all these products that they would give away, like Patra Orange Juice and the Paramount Shirt. And there was a line where Rex would go – you're looking very chipper this morning, Ferris. Uh, well, yes, Rex, I've had my Viking sauna. And it was a promo for Viking sauna. <laughs> right, and right. it was the same thing every week. Yeah, yeah. It was metronomic, but I loved it. Yeah. It was a sort of a colourful aspect to these personalities about the subject matter. And then the absolutely priceless stuff was because when I started to want to watch rugby league, you had replay at 6 o'clock of Match of the Day on Channel 2, ABC. And the lead caller was a guy called Alan Marks and then replaced by John O'Reilly. And the match of the day was routinely, you know, Manly versus St. George or something. It was mm. never the Tigers. Mm. Then later on they brought on the 7.30 Sunday game replay, which Rex called. But in those early days of watching Controversy Corner, they would have 90 seconds or two minutes of film from the, around the grounds of each game. So that was, as a kid, the only way I ever saw the Tigers was in that lot of two-minute yeah. glimpse and want to know more. Right. And then one year, famously, they had a knockout cup for all the clubs who didn't make the semis, yeah. which would have been eight, I think, because mm-hmm. four would make the semis. And that was called the Endeavour Cup and it was played down at the Sharks Park, yeah. which was called Endeavour. And I saw the Tigers on TV. It was a cut-down format, but, like, unbelievable. Yeah. So key memory of rugby league is, is definitely the television was like a tease to what, as you get it's older happening. and more financial and more mobile, you can choose to do it all, and all the time. Yeah. And so then my final question is really why do you love rugby league? And, and it sounds like it's coming from this... Dad, Rex Moss vibe, teasing with television, seeing in real life. But, I mean, you're spending your entire week working and then your entire weekend working again for this game. Why? I've been lucky enough to play sport at a reasonably elite level in basketball. Um, certainly, you know, I fouled an NBA player. I fouled Shane Hill in the game once. Uh, <laughs> That's um, a claim. Uh, but, you know, I play guys who won college championships in the United States. I've played against several Boomers players, et cetera, et cetera. So I've experienced wow. – that's the sport I've experienced on their level, but I've experienced that. Yeah. And then I played – I have two test wickets. I've got Kerry O'Keefe out twice. So, <laughs> I, know, I know Kerry. And so, so I've experienced sport that way. And rugby league I never played. So I'm a pure fan. So there's that, there's that starting thing. It's something right. that I'm obsessed by that I've never actually directly experienced. So it creates a lack of reality to it. Mm-hmm. And then I always say, okay, I, I can conceive being on the court in the NBA and I can conceive on the field in a, test, in a cricket test match. There's two things I can't conceive. Me kick returning in rugby league. <laughs> yeah. In Parramatta in the 70s, there was a tall, skinny guy called Phil Mann, and he was a real cult figure because he was like probably 6'2", but right. he looked like a complete beanpole, right? Yeah. 
and you know, like the fear was he gets snapped in two. Uh, and the other thing is running a marathon. Right. Like when I could run and you put the treadmill up to 16 kilometres an hour, that was the maximum speed. That means in two hours you've only run 32 kilometres and, yeah, they, and, wow. and they now almost run 42 in two hours. So I think that to me it's the local sport that I never played that I'm a pure fan of and I still can't quite imagine what it must be like, which creates this drama for me. Um, the guy who took me to my first Roosters game fell out of love with sport for a long time. He's an actor and a now a, a screen musical composer. And then he sort of fell back in love with the Roosters about 15 years this ago. This is a guy from 75 who took Yeah, you. that's yep, right, yep. Yeah, my mate Steve. And so he would have been early 40s. And he turned to me when we were out at uh, the SFS Alliance, the old girl, as Russell dubbed it. <laughs> old girl, she's 31. Um, uh, I guess it depends how old you are. Yeah. Um, he turned to me and he goes, you know, I reckon I could still make an impact out there. Yeah. And I just laughed at him. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's to me is... It, it, I think it's all those elements, uh, uh, but uh, you know the, the the often used word of tribalism. To, it, I always there's palpable difference having played rugby union. You, rugby union is like a context to a social event, right, 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 right. right. Whereas people are rugby league for one reason: that's to watch the game. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, thanks, Chris. Um, it is my my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me again. No, not at all. And I'd also like to thank Mercho, our wonderful uh, producer. Tremendous. I've, I've looked away from the mic when I said it as well. So the microphones haven't wobbled once. <laughs> uh, look, I'd, I'd ask all our listeners as well to enjoy their sport for another week. And don't forget to tune in uh, to the radio on Friday mornings to FBI for Fire Up. Which is done for the which season. Is done for the season. But when, we, when, we, when your rugby league itch starts again, yeah, come yeah. Fire um, Up. We, we, we'll definitely probably do some sort of summer special in January. Okay, great. And then we'll see what the future holds. You know, it's been a long run for Fire Up at FBI. So, uh, you know, we'll okay. just see where we go next. But you've also got Saturday mornings, which our listeners should be tuning in on Triple M morning, Weekend Legends. Yeah. Yeah, that's still yeah, that, great. That, that will go through to December. So we're out of rugby league mode now. I think we will have a recurrent segment that entitled There Is No Off Season. <laughs> and in our first week, we sort of said, well, you know, there's the PM13 game, the two test matches coming up, the Jillaroos are playing. GUI, of course, with Greg Inglis. Yeah. And, but we actually reminisced about the footy show. Yeah, right. And instead of just bagging it, we dug out some audio of Reg, Reagan, and um, Alive or Gone, <laughs> and some Q&A stuff. And look, it, it was great. Yeah. Was yeah. Part, of, part of our lives. And so if you want to hear more of Chris's velvet voice feeding you with football fun, go and listen to those things. Anything else? No, no. Um, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know... I, I probably painted a slightly pessimistic uh, picture about the Tigers' future. and Refreshing. Yeah. But uh, hopefully it's just a baseline from which we can build and succeed. And to all you Russian billionaires out there, <laughs> Navastrovia. <laughs> I'll talk to you then, sports best friends. Stop working is. with Tier 1 people, Charlie yeah. Stubbs, yeah. Holden. Come and work yeah. with Tier 2. Yeah. Bradley Charles Stubbs. Bradley, you yeah, you got to get that right. Yeah. It's like Bradley <laughs> Charles Stubbs <laughs> was convicted of a freight. No, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like,